this morning comes from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20. You're going to want to turn there in your Bibles this morning, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. We have one verse this morning, so I feel like we can stand for this verse. Exodus 20, verse 12. Let's all stand together for the reading of God's word. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And all the parents in the church said, amen. Please be seated. We return this morning to our exposition through the book of Exodus, and we have kind of slowed down in recent weeks to go through the Ten Commandments one by one, and today we are in this fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Now, children who are in this room this morning, I'm sure your parents have marked down this Sunday on their calendars. They made sure that you were here if they were tempted to put you into children's worship. Well, today was not the day. And I'm sure the rest of you, uh, if you grew up in a, at least a Christian home or maybe a nominally Christian home, you are probably very familiar with this verse. Your parents probably quoted it to you many, many times, made you memorize it over and over again. They made sure that the fifth commandment was written by the very finger of God onto stone, right? And to be sure, there's nothing more defeating to a child when they ask, why, dad, why, mom? There's nothing more defeating to, to say, because I said so. But what's even more serious is when you say, because God said so. That's why you listen to me. But the irony of it all is that this command is not only given to young children. In fact, at the foot of Mount Sinai, where Israel is receiving the law of God, are certainly whole families. The command was given to adult children as well as young children. So this command is for everyone. For everyone. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Exodus, so just by way of reminder, that we've come to the law of God here in Exodus, and Jesus summarizes the law this way in Matthew. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this really is the heart and the root of these Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Those two things. So what does it mean to love God? Well, the first four commandments give us a glimpse, give us hints as to what it might look like to love God. You shall have no other gods before me. The very first one, undiminished or undivided allegiance. Second, you shall love God with an undiminished worship. You shall make no images of him. Third, you love your God by keeping his name untarnished. Fourth, 
We love God with unhindered rest. Keep the Sabbath. Christians set aside one day in seven to be with God's people and to meet with God in person. That's what they do. This is your right. This is your privilege. This is for your good because the Sabbath is made for you. Trust God enough to rest. Now with the fifth commandment, honoring father and mother, we enter what is often referred to as the second table of the law. So the first table, the first four commandments, the first table of the law talks about loving God. And the second table, the next six, are about loving your neighbor, are about loving others. So when it comes to the fifth commandment, there are essentially three, I think, implications as we kind of work through this particular commandment. And I want to take, I want us to see that the Bible takes three kind of stances to this commandment. And let's take each one of those one at a time. First, when it comes to this commandment, give honor to whom honor is due. Give honor to whom honor is due. The word honor in verse 12 has the idea of heavy and weighty. It means to treat someone with significance and with value. Now, I wonder if it surprises you that this command actually shows up first in the list of what it means to love others. In the second table of the law, is it a surprise that of all the things God is concerned about when it comes to loving others, that honoring father and mother comes to the top of the list? I mean, don't you want to put murder up there first and adultery up there before this? Or maybe it's a surprise that it even makes the Ten Commandments. I mean, if I was, you know, a man, yeah, I mean, I am a man, but I mean, if I was talking to God, and I said, uh, God, I only have 10 fingers, so you can only give me 10 commandments. Why does God waste such precious real estate on honoring father and mother? Why not have it be, uh, be hospitable to one another or give generously to one another? And yet here it is at the hinge point of the Ten Commandments. God says, honor your father and mother. You know, in our day and age, you don't go to jail for not honoring your father and mother. Maybe for murder, you know, for those types of things. You don't face jail time for not honoring your father and mother. But in the Old Testament, it was a death penalty. It really was. Serious, outward, and persistently disobedient children face death. In Exodus 21, 15, just a chapter later, what happens when you strike your father and mother? Death, death penalty. In Leviticus 29, when you curse your father and mother, what happens? Death penalty. Deuteronomy 21, 18, it says, if there is a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father and mother, even after repeated discipline, what do you do? You bring him before the elders and the whole city comes with stones and stones this son to death. 
Uh, now, ch I know some of you children are like, well, this is really serious. It is serious, but don't worry. Young children and adult children, don't worry. These laws don't apply to us in the same way. We are not Israel. But the fifth commandment is obviously a very big deal. Now, why is it a big deal? The reason honoring your father and mother is placed first in the second table of the law is not because it's better than the other commandments, but it's foundational beneath all the other commandments that are to follow. It flows from loving God, and it will flow down towards all the other commandments to love our neighbors. Think about it. Parental relationships shape all our other relationships. This is why so much of our counseling of adults focuses on our family of origin. Now, there are lots, all sorts of exceptions. There's good parents with bad kids and bad parents with good kids, and we must realize that the influence of our parents is not final. That influence is not ultimately sovereign. But in general, this is the way the world works, the way that God has set up and designed things. You see... The very first place where every human being encounters God's principle of authority, of what it means to understand authority, is in the home. Parents are our first personal and tangible encounter with the rule of God over us. It is our first education in submission. It is in relationship with our parents we learn to listen to people to do things that sometimes we don't want to do. It's the first place that someone says no to us. It's the first place we face consequences and discipline for our disobedience. It's no wonder that Augustine writes, if anyone fails to honor his parents, whom will he spare? In other words, the seeds of who we become are sown and nurtured in the trenches of a parent and child relationship. The family is foundational. The building blocks of society and civilizations. So don't think that an assault on the family culture in, it means nothing to you. It does matter. When authority and structures of the family break down, everyone suffers. In fact, disobedience to parents is the example par excellence of sin run amok in a society fallen apart. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1. He is describing in Romans 1 a fallen and debased world. He starts listing these things. He says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous malice. They are haters of God, insolent, haughty, inventors of evil. And then he says, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul's telling Timothy, he's saying, hey, you're about to become, a, you're, you're, you're preaching, you're, you're ministering to this church, but let me tell you what the last days are going to be like. He writes in 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self and lovers of money and proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy. And so what's Paul saying? He's saying that a person who can dishonor their parents is a person who is capable of the most drastic spiritual errors. 
Lenotha writes, civilizations, societies, cultures, and countries do not flourish apart from social order, trust, and mutual respect. All of that is meant to be taught and imbibed in the incubator of the family. So it's not too much to say, I think, that loving your neighbors begins with honoring your father and your mother. And so therefore, this command is actually a very expansive application for all of us, children and adults alike. It's, be- it's more than, you know, finish your meal now, hurry up. It's an hour since you've started on this pasta. It's a template for any relationship that we have who has authority over us. This command extends to all of life as we grow and mature. For example, the fifth commandment rules our relationships to our government. We're subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, and we are to honor them, it says in 1 Peter 2. So, you might disagree with the government. You might not like the government mandates that our president enforces. And maybe your criticisms are even right. They're spot on. But even in our fiercest disagreement, we must do it in a way that shows respect for the office and position which they have been granted by God. Not running to post some disparaging rant on social media. The fifth commandment also regulates our work and our home. We're to respect our managers, our bosses. We're to submit to our own husbands as to the Lord. In fact, for those of you who are married, honor your father and your mother in law. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? Okay, I don't see that in the text. That's the one that you're not. No, honor your father and mother in law. Speak well of them. Promote harmony in the family instead of creating division, even when you feel like they don't deserve it. And of course, the fifth commandment requires respect for leaders in the church. I don't, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. I'm very thankful for the church. And I love, I feel, we, our family always feels honored by Redeemer. But this is, there is familial language that pervades the New Testament. Paul instructs Timothy to relate to younger members as what? Brothers and sisters, older men as fathers. Paul is a father to Timothy in the faith. Pastors and elders are serving as spiritual fathers. That's why one of the requirements for them is that they manage their own households well. So honor them, the ones who pastored you in your youth. Honor them, the ones who pastored you when you were in college. Honor them. Don't think you've outgrown them and you're better than them now. Give honor to whom honor is due. Second, when it comes to the fifth commandment, children, children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. Now, some of you might be thinking, Pastor Steve, uh, it says honor your parents, not obey your parents. But as you search the scriptures, what you're going to find is that the language of obedience tends to come in passages speaking to young children, those who are still dependent upon their parents. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It's in your New Testament. You get past 1st and 2nd Corinthians and then Galatians and Ephesians. You go to Ephesians 6, 1. When children are young, honor most often takes the form of obedience. 
That's why Paul, in his understanding, in his interpretation of the fifth commandment, says in Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents are right to expect obedience from their children, and children, you are right to show honor and obedience to your parents. So, children, uh, teenagers, okay, students, the commandment doesn't say you have to hang out with your parents all the time. But it does say honor them and obey them. John Calvin says the demand is that we render reverence, obedience, and gratitude. Reverence, obedience, and gratitude. So what might that look like? It might mean maybe one way to apply this passage is listen to your parents. Listen to them. Recognize that they are older than you and probably wiser than you. That they have accumulated some wisdom. Second, obey them. Prompt, cheerful obedience would be great. It would be wonderful if you didn't say, yes, mom, or you didn't say, ugh, or I did that already, or I know, I know, or I didn't make the mess, I didn't do it. It would be nice if you just said, yes, mom, yes, dad. Third, thank them. Gratitude is one of the chief ways you can honor your parents. Your parents love you. They really do love you. Uh, they sacrifice a lot of, for you. They have prayed for you. They have probably wept in prayer for you. It would be just nice to say thank you once in a while. Now, some of you might be thinking, but you don't get it. They don't even understand the internet. They don't know that much. And you know what? They don't, they don't know their Bibles that well. I know my Bible's better than them. My Bible better than them. Plus, they're imperfect. They're always losing their temper. They're so demanding. They're always looking at their phones all the time. I bet you they wouldn't even know if I'm, I went missing. Just earlier this week, I was reading in my devotions, Luke chapter 2. Jesus is 12, and his parents lose him in the temple. Now, I don't know how you lose the Son of God, but you do. And they did. And when they find him, they accuse him. They so said, why would you do this to us? Maybe they're yelling at him. I don't know. Here is Jesus, perfect and sinless before his parents. Yet it says in verse 51 in chapter 2 of Luke, Jesus came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So children... Youth, students, if you ever have a moment where you think, I know so much more than my parents, or I'm much closer to perfection than my parents, then congratulations, you're a lot like Jesus. And he never disobeyed his parents. Look, this commandment is not meant to limit you. It's not meant to clip your wings and stifle you so that in the future when you grow up and you become parents, you can clip the wings and stifle your children. That's not what it's for. This is a commandment for freedom. It's for blessing. It's for flourishing. Uh, the other half of this commandment says that there's a promise that's there, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Ephesians 6.1 reiterates that. Paul reiterates that right there. 
Now, this is not talking about living a long time. It's not as if God says, obey your parents, and you get, uh, every time you do, you get two extra birthdays. No, that's not what it's about. Nor does it mean if you have a short life. It means you've disobeyed your parents. Not at all. Rather, it's a recognition of the way that the world works, the way that God has designed things. Generally, those who obey father and mother, those who obey father and mother, are better off, live a more abundant and full life, no matter how long or short it may be. Anyone in the social sciences field, whether liberal or conservative, has come to a place where they recognize, they recognize that it's good. Study after study, they talk about the best predictor of a child's health as an adult. For things like finishing school, or staying out of jail, or not getting into drugs, or not being promiscuous, or whatever pattern of social benefit, great indicator is what happens in the home. That you have a loving parent and you have children who listen and follow them. And these studies only confirm what we know biblically. Proverbs 3, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Proverbs 4.10 says the same thing. Hear, my son, accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Now, there are exceptions to obeying your parents. Now everyone's listening, right? There are exceptions to obeying your parents. Obviously, if the choice is between obeying God or obeying your parents, you obey God. If your parents command you to do what God forbids or forbids what God commands, you cannot, you must not obey What's more, the Bible is very clear that in God's design, the parent-child relationship is permanently altered at the moment of marriage. Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and the two will become one flesh. Leave and cleave. Husbands and wives, you need to listen to this. You are a new unit. Listen up. You must realize that there is this newness that comes with a severing of your old obligations to obey your parents. The obligation to your spouse now outweighs that to parents. Now, I know some of you are here, and you're like, well, I'm kind of in between those spots, okay? Uh, I'm not a young child anymore. I've graduated from university. I'm not yet married. You might wonder, what about me? What is my obligation to obey my parents? Does the application of the fifth commandment change now that if I'm living on my own or paying my own way? Am I left to obey my parents in everything? What if God calls me to singleness and I'm 40 years old? Do I listen to my, to my mom and then my dad when they're at 65, 70 years old? Do I obey them in that way? Well, I don't think so. There are limits to parental authority. And as you grow in responsibility independence, you ought to grow in decision-making independence. Now, a reminder for everyone, before you cast off your parents forever, let me be very clear. Your parents may have a seasonal authority, but they deserve a lasting Seasonal authority, lasting honor. 
Though a parent's authority wanes over time, they are endowed with perpetual honor. No matter how old, mature, or independent you become, if leaving your father and mother means you stop listening to them, and you start, I don't know, despising them, then you have not left them as God would have us. No matter the age, honor them. Speak well of them. Esteem them publicly, privately. Seek their wisdom. Now, before we move on to our last point, let me speak to the parents. First to the parents of young children. First to the parents of young children. Are you teaching your children to lovingly honor you? Or to put it another way, are you living in a way where your children would desire to honor you? You know, that passage in Ephesians 6 goes on to talk to fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the number one way you can exasperate your children is living in an incongruous life, meaning what you say doesn't match up with what you do. What you say you believe doesn't match up with what you, what you do. Or maybe you say one thing, it doesn't match up with what you believe. Whatever it might be. Our children have a right to be upset with us when our actions conflict with our spiritual values. When we're inconsistent with discipline, when we compel self-control by what? Throwing a temper tantrum on our own. When we tell them, trust God, that's the most important thing. And then we give them all this pressure, all smothering them with unreasonable, innumerable demands. Trust God, but, you know, you better get those grades and do this extracurricular activity and do more because what's really important is you get into that college so that you can be, you can be I don't know, rich? I don't, uh, comfortable? Are you teaching them to lovingly honor you, not because you need it, but because God has so wisely commanded it? Now, for parents of older children... There's some of you in here. Do you recognize that your authority over your children is but a season and not a lifetime? And do you embrace that? You know, some parents don't come to a realization, don't come to the terms that their authority wanes and obedience wanes as their children get older. And it all comes to a head when the children decide to make a different kind of decision. Maybe they decide to get married and it produces all this friction in the family. You should not expect the same obedience from grown children as you did when they were small children. Your task as a parent is actually to raise your children so that they could become independent and to function outside of your authority. And Lord willing, should your child get married, remember not to parent in such a way that makes it harder for your children to be obedient to God. Don't parent in a way that makes it harder for them to be obedient. Give honor to whom honor is due. Second, 
children, obey your parents. And third, and our final point this morning, hate your father and mother. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it's certainly possible to abuse what Jesus is saying here. Jesus himself elsewhere insists that children must honor their parents. He gets into this whole thing with the Pharisees about Corbin, about how they're saying that, they, that they've giving them all their money away and not supporting their parents and not honoring their parents and saying it's for spiritual things and, and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're not obeying this commandment to honor their parents. And yet Jesus here says, hate your father and mother and this language is striking, isn't it? What he's saying is that it's entirely possible to make our families our idols. He's saying it's entirely possible for you to come to Christianity and think, Oh, Christianity is wonderful. It, it's, it teaches such good moral values. It, it's such great community. It's going to make my child or son going to be a great citizen and tax-paying citizen and honorable and not get into trouble. And I'm going to have upright families. But maybe upright families that go to hell. Whatever else we might think about the fifth commandment, how we might think about father and mother, sons and daughters and honor, we must not accidentally slip into the view that the point of the gospel is to make nice families. It's true that the gospel transforms. Oh yes, it's wonderfully true because all of a sudden when the gospel falls upon the hearts of men and women and families and fathers are saying, I want to be more like my heavenly father and sons are saying, and sons and daughters are saying, I want to be more like the eternal son. The gospel changes absolutely everything. But that cannot be the end. Because God does not exist to make happy families. Otherwise, that's adultery. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a basketball player, and he has this thing tattooed on his, I don't know where it's tattooed, but it says F-O-E, which means like enemy, foe. Uh, but what I realized was that, I was like, what's going on with that? But he, it's because it's supposed to stand for a family over everything. Family over everything. That's idolatry. Mark three thirty three. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Yes, the gospel is good for sociological benefits. There, it is. The gospel means human flourishing in society. I think it means more education. I think it means better mental health. I think it means less suicides. I even think it's better for, for, for lowering the divorce rate. I, I know studies are kind of like mixed on that, but I think genuine Christians, it lowers the divorce rate. But when it comes to the gospel, do we merely say, consider Jesus because he'll make your family better? Consider Jesus because he will meet the needs of the community. Consider Jesus because he will fix your children in youth group. 
sure there's a sociological impact, but that is not the gospel, and it would be a distortion of the gospel. Search the scriptures and see what makes God angry. It's not war. It's not broken families. It's idolatry. It's the first table of the law. It's the first commandment. Ultimately, the gospel, God's plan of redemption is about the glory of the immeasurless love of God. He is sovereign and creator, and he does not give his glory to another. And what the gospel does first and foremost is that even though God stands against us with his holy and righteous wrath, he also stands over and against us in incalculable and glorious love in that he sends his own son, that he might die upon the cross, that he might bear our sins. And the son dies, that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be welcomed into the family of God, that we might be adopted into his family, and that we may cry out to God, Abba, Father. That changes everything. So if you listen to the gospel, this news that entails bowing to Christ as Lord and to say, yes, your word is right and your way is right, your death is effective, your, your resurrection is triumphant. If we are there and instead you say, ah, it's not really convenient right now because, hey, I'm trying to, you know, just get my family together. trying to make everything all right with my family. If we put God in second place to the well-being of our families, then we're making a dangerous mistake. Because what will it profit a man if he has a happy family and loses his own soul? As disciples and followers of Christ, we must always remember that God gave us family. It is a precious gift. It is. But it is a gift, not the giver. Jesus will not allow himself to to be demoted to the high priest in the temple of family values. When we come to Christ, we leave that temple behind, never to return. We spend the rest of our lives bringing families and neighbors to God, into the family of God. That's what we're all about. And this means that we make decisions like maybe choosing a church or where we serve or how to live, not primarily primarily for how it will serve our family, but primarily for how the family can serve Christ. So church, let us give honor to whom honor is due. Let us be children who give honor to our heavenly father. Let us obey him and honor him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, it is such a privilege to call you our Father. And we know that we come from a variety of different backgrounds and family upbringing, some very painful. And yet we know that you are our perfect heavenly Father where there is no shadow of change. You have demonstrated your love for us how great your love is for us in Christ, that you send your only son, that we might be sons and daughters. So Lord, we do pray that you would glorify yourself in our families. 
we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we respond and sing of the perfect Father. standing for the benediction. The benediction comes from 2 Thessalonians 2.16. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated for a short time of silent prayer.
and reflection. And when the music begins, you can join us outside in the courtyard or in the fellowship hall uh, for some conversation and some coffees available as well. Thanks for coming to our Lord's Day worship. <laughs>